0: Welcome back. We're in Genesis chapter 24. Let's go. All right, buckle up. This is fun. This is another incredible chapter, another incredible experience. I promise we'll be blessed by going through and reading this and learning it and studying it together. The title in my Bible is called A Bride for Isaac. Here it goes. 24-1. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. All right, so we got Abraham Sarah had passed away. We just got done talking about how he buried her, Uh, gave her a nice burial, wanted to pay full price. She was the only woman in the Bible whose age, we're told. Now, Abraham, it's his time. She lived to an old age. He lived to an old age. It's uh, believed that he he was probably about 140 years old at this point in time. Again, you're thinking either A, that's why the Bible's wrong because people just don't live that long, or B, how did he live so long? Or C, knowing that the answer to B and A, I guess, I'm just kind of making this up as I go, is that back then people could live longer. Sin had not taken its full effect on the world. Nowadays, we have more and more diseases, more and more illnesses that people are dying from. It could be the flu, sepsis, COVID, whatever. You make it up, but we're dying earlier because there's more sin rampant in the world back then was and wasn't, didn't hadn't taken its full long lasting effect on um, on people people and nature and etc so people were living longer they used to live way longer than 140 years old then it started coming down now we're in you know let's say in America the 60s and 70s some places in the world in Africa for some places in Africa it may only be you know 20s or 30s or something really low because of the health care etc um, but they were living longer so there we go. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Yes, he did. Let's think about some of those blessings. We're not going to explore them in depth, but to hit some of the high points, Abraham was married, had a great wife. I think it was incredible testimony to their marriage and to God that they stuck through some really tough times. We're not told about all the tough times. We're not told about the little fights that they had in the you know, morning over who, who was going to make coffee or the you know toast was burnt. Or he got home from work late and she was upset because she was with the kids or whatever. You know, all those little things. But they made it through the fact that she had him sleep with their maidservant and have a baby. And that had a lot of problems associated with it. She made him kick that maidservant and that baby uh, out of kind of the, the family arena and out of the t- out of town. And they made it through that. And even, she even went along with the lies of him telling people that it was his sister rather than his wife and they made it through all that so they had a great foundation it appears to me in god in their marriage and that's important right we've got to have that foundation i've talked to you about how important it's been in my marriage my marriage is not perfect. There's not a perfect marriage out there. We're different people. We're two people that God brings together as one, but he wants us to work through those differences. And, and just like when you come to Christ, you don't just come to Christ and say, everything's perfect. I'm never going to sin again. I'm never going to look back in the past and have any guilt, regret, remorse, whatever. I'm never going to look in the future. You're still going to struggle because you're in this temple, this body, this flesh that we live in that is you know rampant with temptation and sin and then just this, this flesh, Right. And so we're being sanctified. We're conforming and becoming more like Jesus over time. Hopefully that's the goal, right? If once you're justified, you're saved and you're going to heaven, but you want to look more like Christ over time, but you're going to take steps back. I promise I do. Uh, and I hate it when I do, but God convicts me and he's like, look at that. Let's not do that again. How about that? Right. And then sometimes I do it again. And he's like, haven't we talked about this? Let's work on this. Right. And then I conquer one thing and go on to the, go on to the next, but uh, we still live in this flesh. But, Uh, Abraham had earthly wealth, and that's not something that we all want to say, well, I'm not blessed because I didn't have the earthly wealth like Abraham. It's just what God had for him, right? For some people, he has uh, earthly, what's the opposite of wealth? Not poorness, um, earthly lack of wealth, right? There are many, many missionaries, for example, who have given up everything, earthly comforts, desires, bank account, salary, retirement, all that stuff, and some of those people, and I've met some, I've read books from some or about some, and they seem to be some of the most happiest, peaceful, and joyful people I've ever, you know, encountered or read about in my entire life. And that's just, and they're blessed. And if you said, do you need money or want money? They're like, what am I going to do with money? Then I'd try to rely on that money for security, et cetera. So, but Abraham was blessed in, in, in this land. God brought him to this land, promised him this land. Promised him that his descendants, you know, would be great and all this stuff. So yes, a very blessed man. And what I want all of us to do, myself included, anytime we feel down, sad, depressed, worried, covetousness, jealous, etc., um, is just to count our blessings. Count be grateful, right? And because we have so much to be grateful for. And even if you can't think of one thing to be grateful for, be grateful for this. If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then when you die on this earth, you take your last breath, you'll immediately wake up in heaven, taking your first breath in heaven with eternity in the presence of Jesus, in the presence of those loved ones that you uh, that accepted Christ. You'll be eternally rich, pure joy, pure happiness and peace. No more tears, no more sorrow. Right. So if you have nothing else that you can think to be grateful for at the moment, just think about that one true fact, and that is a promise to us. In the Bible, which is God's word to us, God's letter to us. Verse 2 So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house who ruled over all that land, over all that he had, Please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. All right. So we've got Abraham. We've got the, um, his son Isaac in this verse, and we've got the servants. So you've got three players. Now, I want you to think about this. Many times in the Bible, you're going to see people who are representative, symbolic of a person of the Godhead. Here, you've got all three representative. You've got Abraham, which is representative of God the Father, Isaac, who is Abraham's earthly son, and representative of Jesus, who is God the Son, And then you have the servant who is representative of the Holy Spirit. Now, we have names for the father and the son here, Abraham and Isaac. We are not told a name of the servant. Why? In the Bible, whenever you see the Holy Spirit being represented by a person, rather the person, I guess, is representing the Holy Spirit, I think you could say it the other way around too, that person remains nameless. Why? Well, because the Holy Spirit's job is, is not to point people to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is to point people to Jesus. So he goes forth, he wants to remain nameless. He doesn't have an earthly form uh, that we can see, like we could see, uh, you know, the people who lived in the time of Jesus could literally physically see, touch, feel, um, hear uh, Jesus. That's not the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit back then in the Old Testament was around people um, in leading them and encouraging them, et cetera. In the New Testament, uh, at Pentecost and beyond, the Holy Spirit can, would indwell and does indwell believers, but he remains nameless because his job is to point people to Jesus. Does that make him less than Jesus? No, right? It's three persons and one Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're equal, but they have different roles. Husband and wife in a marriage, they're equal, but they do have different roles. Does that mean if they have a different role that they're unequal? No equal just with different roles so we're seeing that right here so i want you to think about this whole this picture of god the father god the son and god the holy spirit as we go through this whole section because it's incredible and we'll bring it up as we see it so he says to the oldest servant of his house who ruled over all that he had so this old old servant was um, very important to abraham ruling over he had and it's not like he just had like you know one rental home to look over or something. He, he had massive wealth, so this guy was uh, important to him. He must have been sharp and smart. And uh, he's tasking this person to go out and do something. And God the Father and Holy Spirit you know, get together and are like, hey, this is what we need to do. Holy Spirit, let's, let's do it. Let me go do it. And he says, please put your hand under my thigh. Now, another word to, uh, for thigh here is loin so he's placing his hand up somewhere under the thigh or the uh he sits on it or even i won't go into more detail but you know a very manly a private place and i'm so thankful that we don't have this way of making an oath in america because that would be very um, odd to us in our culture but back then apparently it was very customary and it was a very serious oath and i would think that if you know one man put his hand up under another man's thigh, buttocks, or um, other area, that you wouldn't forget that for quite some time, right? So you're always going to be reminded, oh, yeah, I I remember that. I'm not forgetting that, right? So that's what's going on here. and It's Abraham saying, I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, and the God of earth. So think about a courtroom oath where you have someone swear on the Bible. Um, I'm not sure they do this in all courtrooms uh, nowadays, and very sadly so, because that is the one truth uh, that's, you know, that we should live by, uh, but everybody gets to choose whether it's their truth or not. And whether they declare it to be their truth or not doesn't change the fact that it is the truth. One plus one is two. Even if someone else says, no, one plus one is 17, you can think that. It doesn't make it true, but you can think that because you feel that way. But the truth is one and one is two. And the truth is there is a God. He created us. He communicated with us. He came to earth. He died for our sins, and he gives us a way to eternal life to be with him. That is the truth. And so he's making them swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, right? God is in heaven. He's also on earth. God the Father is in heaven. He sent God the uh, Son, Jesus, who he was here for you know, 30, 33 years, and God uh, the Holy Spirit, he sent permanently, essentially, at Pentecost to indwell the... Believers from that time forward and kind of be the glue that binds us all together in that one body of Christ, which is what he refers to us, which another name for that is the church. Okay, so he's saying, Don't get a wife for my son from this land, the daughter of the Canaanites where I dwell. So they're living in Canaan, right? That's good. This is the promised land, a portion of the promised land. But who is living in the land of Canaan? It's the Canaanites. And we talked about this earlier in Genesis the land of Canaan. I'm going to put it in simple English. Land of Can- land of Canaan, good. The people of Canaan, the Canaanites, bad. So although they were in the land, it was not dwelled by God-loving people. It was dwelled by these evil, idolatrous, debaucherous, um, I don't know if that's a word or not, debauchery-seeking, whatever people, um, the Canaanites. So he didn't want his a, a daughter-in-law to be from the Canaanites. He wanted them to go back and go to his family, who would uh, be a uh, bride for Isaac? Now you look at that and you're like, wait, he wants his family. He wants his son to marry a family member. We don't do that today because your kid's going to come out probably uh, with physical complications or mental complications because of the you know what we call incest. Back then, they weren't as affected by sin, and of course, you know you you take. Noah and his wife and um, his daughters for example, they had to do that they were the only people on the planet Uh, Adam and Eve were the only people on the planet and then they had children and those people in order to make more people they had to have relations with each other right? so you get that point Um, because that's where everybody comes from and even someone who believes in uh, the false, uh, false theory of evolution would even have to Think that way too, right? Um, they would have to say, Well, yeah, I mean, it's not like forty different animals evolved at once into people and then they started having relationships. No, it'd be like there was one, then there was two, and they started whatever. So, again, evolution false. Uh macroevolution is false, microevolution is true. Um, very big difference. Tomorrow we will pick up in uh verse five. Anything else I want to say on that? Oh, and so again, the Holy Spirit represented by the servant is going to go out and seek a bride. Well, what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit goes out and seeks people to come to Jesus. He's encouraging people to come to Jesus. He's not going to force anyone. Notice how it says the servant said or the, we'll hit verse 5 real quick and it says, "And the servant said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing." To follow me to this land, must I take your son back to the land from which you came? So, what he's saying is, what if no one wants to come back and marry Isaac? Right? What if they all say no? And God's saying, then they all say no. We're not going to force anybody to marry Isaac. We're not going to force anybody to come into the kingdom of God. We're not going to force anybody to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Right? He is Lord and Savior, but He may not be that person's Lord and Savior because they don't come to that truth. So he's not going to force it. The Holy Spirit won't force you to love Jesus. He won't force your mom to love Jesus, your sister to love Jesus, your neighbor, your colleague, or your co-worker. You know what he will do? He will work through you to be an example in deeds and in word to that person so that they can come to see the kindness of Christ through your kindness that they may want to choose him on their own. But the Holy Spirit will not force anybody to love Him. just like you can't force your family member, your neighbor, your colleague to love Jesus, you can share with them and encourage them, bring them to church, help them understand the Bible, etc., that they may come to that decision on their own. And while we're talking about that, this is another reason why I think Calvinism is such a bad doctrine, um, if you'll call it that. Or you know, what Calvinists believe is essentially they say you don't you don't have any choice. You don't get to come to Christ. He forces you to you know into his kingdom, and then you just happen to fall in love with him or whatever. It's just uh, Calvinism is so out there. I don't I don't get it. Um, but this is another verse that I would show that Calvinist, which is, no, you have to choose Jesus. It says, what if they're not willing? He's saying, then leave them, right? We can't force anybody to love Isaac, and we can't force anybody to love us. It's their choice. They must be willing, and you must be willing to accept Jesus, and if you've already accepted Jesus, wonderful, but don't hide that gift. Don't hide that present. Go out and share it with others. Lord, thank you. For this incredible chapter, I'm so excited to go through it. I pray for everybody listening. I pray for myself. Help us not. Help us to know that we will make mistakes. We will sin. We will offend you. Convict us when we do, Lord. Lead us. Help us to stay away from that thing that, that uh, hurts us. Help us to know that you love us and you have pursued us. And for those of us who have not accepted you, Lord, I pray that you would continue to pursue them and use believers around them to encourage them and strengthen them. And that together, us believers would sharpen each other as iron sharpens iron. And for anybody who's not a believer, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be stronger in our witness to them and greater in our love and our kindness towards them, Lord. All in your name. Amen. Mm -hmm.